The Courage to Lead, episode 173. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Alexander Bryant. Alex Bryant is the founder and lead instructor at Sarcraft, a wilderness skills school based in Cherokee County, Georgia, devoted to spreading the knowledge of wilderness medicine, survival, bushcraft, preparedness, and general outdoor competency. Alex's love of the outdoors was born in the Boy Scouts, where he attained the rank of Eagle and earned 90 merit badges. He served with Cherokee County Fire and Emergency Services Wilderness Search and Rescue Team for over a decade, spending five years as a squad leader planning and leading field search missions. Additionally, he is the youngest person ever to achieve the National Association for Search and Rescue's SARTEC-1 certification, a benchmark only attained by 100 or so people in the last 25 years, and he is currently certified as a wilderness first responder. Alex is a hiker trash and proud of it. Um, having hiked over a thousand miles of the Appalachian Trail, as well as logging hundreds of miles on other trails everywhere from Colorado to Florida. Outside of Starcraft, he enjoys fine whiskey, tactical shooting, and spending time with his wife, Sarah. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Harlan. Great to be on here. This is awesome. I've been looking forward to this. Now, for uh, full transparency and stuff like that, you're a client, you're a good friend. I've been up to Starcraft. I've done some classes up there on your property. That's a phenomenal facility you have access to up there. Thank you. Yes, uh, we're very, very blessed. Uh, a lot of schools, that's been their biggest hurdle is finding a place to teach. And that was uh, kind of something we've had since the beginning. So that's that's been very integral to the company's success. But yeah, we're very blessed. It's a beautiful piece of property. That's awesome. And how many acres do you have up there? 70 acres. Nice. Very cool. Good stuff. All right. We're going to talk. come back and talk about everything, how you got your start, some of the things you've done, um, some of the things you do and offer at Starcraft. Uh, but before we get started, I've got some questions I ask every one of my guests. Uh, listeners know these are the questions from the TV show Inside the Actor Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these same questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I always thought if these are good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So Alex, if you're ready, I've got 10 questions for you. Absolutely. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Hmm. Well, off the cuff, I'd have to say prevail, which is Sarcraft's unofficial tagline. Uh, and I loved it even before starting the company, but it really sums up everything, everything that Sarcraft is about as a company and also that really I'm about. I mean, I believe in empowering people. I believe in helping people face and beat the odds and prevail in the circumstances in the face of whatever they may find themselves in. Very good. All right. What is your least favorite word? Any of the cluster that has to do with excuses, um, can't, impossible, um, you know, can't be done. Uh, you know, anything that, you know, I I don't really believe in letting yourself off the hook. I mean, I there are there are such things as impossible circumstances. There are things that true that are just cannot be done. But most people, as far as their capability and as far as 
you know, what they can accomplish, whether it's personally or in business, they're nowhere near their limit. Exactly. So when most people say I can't like, no, you just don't want to commit to it. You don't have the commitment. You don't have the discipline, tenacity, whatever, like you can do it. Exactly. Yeah. I don't, I don't the flip like side that. of that is you can do almost anything. Like it is, yeah. you know, Absolutely. I prefer to stay positive on that, but no, like I, I'm not, not a fan of uh, limitations. Okay. Very good. What turns you on? Generally, um, I don't know. I like stories of success. I like hearing hearing about people winning. Yeah, I and I like the, I like challenge. I like possibility. Um, you know, that's that's kind of what draws me towards the things that I do. It's like, oh, that sounds cool. You know, like that's <laughs> that's an adventure. Absolutely. So. Yeah, like I think, yeah, adventure, challenge, possibility, all those things. Yeah, that's that gets me fired up. Excellent. So, what turns you off? <sighs> I have to say, like uh, bureaucracy, like you know, procedure, like not even, yeah, not even people admitting their own limitations towards why they can't do something, but just standing behind. This is these are the rules. This is how they've always done it as to why something won't happen. Like, Oh, that just, that kills me. Like pointless, pointless rules as an excuse for not doing the right thing just burns me alive. I'm with you. All right. What sound or noise do you love? I don't know. Uh, Yeah. Sound of the rain outdoors is always nice when you're uh, when you're in somewhere warm and dry. And I'm saying that just because that's what I'm hearing right now. It's actually raining at my house and I got all the windows open. It's pretty great. Mm. So it's very relaxing. Cool. What sound or noise do you hate? Ooh, um, like uh, cellophane bags ever since I was a kid. Like somebody's like opening a potato chip bag and taking yeah. too long with it. Oh, uh, <laughs> just like sends chills down my spine. I can't stand it. Awesome. All right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Hmm. I got to say bitch. Like not as not in like a sexist connotation, but just like a gender neutral connotation. Like, you know, somebody's being a little bitch or bitching out on something or, you know, it's Andy. It is Andy. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, you're sexy. No, I'm not. Like, I call everybody dude, too. I could use that one gender neutrally, too. <laughs> exactly. Bro. Bro. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? The one is, there's a lot of stuff, and this is hard because there's a lot of stuff that I'm into. Like I'd, I've always had a huge range of interests and a lot of stuff I find cool. So that's, and that's actually been a challenge throughout my life is focus. Um, like the one thing that I really wanted to do and tried to do and didn't get to do that I do kind of regret is uh wildland firefighter. Like mm-hmm. those guys are awesome. Uh, you know, that or uh air force pararescue jumper like the like the elite of search and rescue uh but uh yeah i made made legit tries for those and the doors were just like they were not going to open so um i don't know there's a there's a lot of cool jobs out there i respect um 
you know, I, you know, I enjoyed my time in college. Like I think, you know, what, what a good college professor does is a cool job. Um, you know, especially in the humanities, I think that's very underrated right now. Um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. Very cool. So what profession would you not like to do? Customer service. <laughs> no hesitation. No, no hesitation. hesitation. Yeah, I've done enough of it uh, just working in the corporate world for the time that I did. Uh, even though that was not my official job, I still did. You know, anybody that's especially having been in sales, like if, you, if you've been in sales, you can't avoid service Yeah. Uh, if you're taking care of your clients. But man, um, my heart goes out to those people. That's Absolutely. I would. Yeah. All the stuff that people list is like jobs they wouldn't want. Like, I don't know, being garbage collector. Like I'd be a garbage collector seven days a week and twice on Sundays before I'd work in a call center. Yeah. I am totally with you on that one. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Excellent. Excellent. Very cool. All right, Alex, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk about how you got your start, um, all the things you've accomplished that got you to where you are now. We're going to talk about StarCraft, how that's going, uh, what things you offer and all that stuff. And at some point, we're going to transition into courage and leadership. Cool. Right? Very Good cool. Deal. All right, listeners, we're going to talk about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Alexander Bryant. Alex, thanks again for coming on the show. This has been great. I've been looking forward to having the conversation, learn more about you and all the crazy things you've done and stuff. Um, Growing up, were you always an outdoorsman? Yeah, I I really was. Um, I was, yeah, really as far back as I can remember. You know, I remember my parents taking me out in the woods before I could even walk, like carrying me around and being being part of that, doing that, loving that. Um, I was like, I was not tough as a kid. I was a soft kid. I was not like. I was not into sports. I was not good at sports. Uh, you know, I was, you know, always the kid that got picked last on the team. And uh, part of that's because I was usually, you know, I'd rather be out in the woods. You know, I'd rather out be out exploring and uh, doing my own thing rather than playing a game. So, yeah, as far back as I can remember, I've always, always loved it. Nice. And when did you get involved in Boy Scouts? Um. My parents put me in Cub Scouts when I was probably 10. Uh, I didn't, I didn't do it from like day one, you know, when like you turn six and you can join Tiger Cubs. I wasn't in there that early, but uh, yeah, Cub Scouts. And then uh, yeah, from when I crossed over until I aged out at 18 and it was trans absolutely transformative. Yeah. Being an Eagle Scout, that's huge. That's a big accomplishment. Not everybody does that, do they? Yeah. Uh, I, 
I think the I think the percentage now is up to like three percent of uh, kids that join scouts end up making wow. eagle. But wow. uh, well, and I can't take full credit for it because uh, my parents were smart and they knew I would lose focus, so they held my driver's license hostage until I got got eagle. Because <laughs> I was, I think I was. Or no, was it even – it may have even been my learner's permit because I know I got my eagle when I was 15. So, uh, yeah, either way, it was either my license or my permit. They're like, you can't get it till you make eagle. Wow. Like, All right, then I guess I better get get it done. <laughs> That's awesome. But that kind of prepared you for going into the search and rescue stuff. How did you get involved in the, the search and rescue? When did that start? Oh, absolutely. It was uh, – <clears throat> if I had never been in scouts, I never would have joined search and rescue. Um so the exact way that it happened, I will, I will tell you the, the day I joined. Um, so back in the day, they don't do it anymore. In, in the town where I live, they had an air show that was a helicopter-only air show called the American Heroes Air Show. And they'd have, like, you know, the National Guard would bring their Blackhawks out. Life Flight would have their chopper. Um, you know, all of them, you know, the uh, Georgia DNR, uh, Fire Service, State Patrol, all of them. It was really cool. And every, like every military recruiter and every like first responder group had a booth there. So like, uh, you know, the sheriff's office SWAT team had a booth, um, fire department had one, so on and so forth. Um, and I actually went because my best friend at the time was going to the Marine Corps and he was basically voluntold. He had to go help staff the Marine Corps recruiting booth at the show. And he was like, Hey, you want to come down and hang out once I'm done? I'm like, yeah, man, sounds great. So I showed up early and I was just killing time and walking around. I'm like, all right, this is all cool stuff. And, uh, just talking to everybody and, uh, ended up at the search and rescue tent and <clears throat> started talking to the guy that was there who ended up being one of the team members that I served alongside and, uh, talked about the mission and what it was and what they did. And, uh, it really resonated with me and it sounded like a great way to apply all the skills that I learned in scouts and do the things that I love while helping people. So signed up on the spot. Nice. And you were doing that. I ended up never hanging out with my buddy. Like he, <laughs> <laughs> he was tied up the entire time and I was like, all right, man, I got to go. So. Yeah. No, that's cool. So how many, how many years were you doing the search and rescue? Uh, just a hair over 10. Nice. So yeah, basically all of my 20s was spent in search and rescue. Wow. What type of things did you do up there? Was that all in the North Georgia mountains or was that somewhere else? It was, yeah. So uh, it was almost all in Cherokee County because we were a county team. Uh, but we also did a lot of mutual aid calls for surrounding counties. So we would go, you know, especially if it was a big search, like if they – if they either had their own team and needed manpower or they did not have, if a neighboring county did not have a team and needed subject matter experts, we would go help in those cases as well. Then what type of things did you do? Like how did people get out there and get in trouble? Was it like plane crashes? Was it people hiking and got lost or fell? So and it was, that was part of why I loved it is because no two calls were ever exactly the same. Everything, every situation was totally unique. Uh, there were common threads that ran through a lot of them, uh, you know, enough to even like track data, but uh, everything was unique. So, and, and it changed over time as the county got more urbanized. 
Uh, that's one of the reasons I left actually is because, uh, yeah, a lot of the places people used to get lost are now subdivisions, but, yeah. uh, sadly, but, uh, you know, in the beginning, it was a lot more of the, what you would think of as classic search and rescue. So like hikers, hunters, um, people out picking berries, uh, mountain bikers, trail runners, so on and so forth. Like the, just exactly what you think of. Um, but all through, but, and then a lot more towards the end, like the demographics shifted, it was a lot more um, like Alzheimer's dementia patients who tend to wander off. Mm, yeah. uh, and then also uh, special needs kids, especially autistic kids. Like I, it's crazy how much I learned about the autism spectrum from this because, uh, you know, by, by the time I left, like that was probably upwards of 80% of our calls was either really? was one of those two, what we call special patient populations, like the elderly or special needs kids. Well, wow. it's like maybe some family was out camping and the kid wandered off or something like that. Not even that, like, uh, well, there was that, uh, you know, there are a lot of runaway kids. There are a lot of runaway teenagers who were trying to evade, uh, that happened. Um, you know, a lot of people who were suicidal, uh, a lot of, um, yeah, just a mix, but usually they fell in one of those categories, but no, um, like the, uh, special patient populations and part of it depending like on where they were on the spectrum. Like if they were, uh, if they were more low functioning, like nonverbal, you know, very, very sensitive to touch, um, they would, uh, you know, they would basically just take off and have mm -hmm. like no sense of place or time. Um, an, an interesting aside is, uh, Autistic kids, especially the lower they are on the spectrum, uh, they seek out water because mm. from what I've been told, uh, when they like autistic kids are hyperstimulated, like they that's why they do the ear flapping because it centers them in their in their environment. Okay. Uh, and they the ones that can describe it, they feel like their skin's on fire. Cause they can feel everything cause they're using so many more, so many more of their neurons are firing than ours are. Right. And if they get in water, like the cool and the pressure, like they can actually relax. So they seek out water. The only problem is most of them don't swim. Yeah. So those are extremely high priority. We would always try to get after them as fast as we could. High functioning, like what you would call term Asperger's was really interesting cause they were, you know, to them it was a game. Like it was evasion. There was one kid, <clears throat> we went after him. He was a frequent flyer. We went after him at least three times. It may have been more, but three times that I can distinctly remember. Uh, and his, he was, uh, it was like over the time, I think he was like 11 or 12. Uh, his dad was a sheriff's deputy. Uh, they did not get along at all. Um, you know, dad was like stereotypical cop, like, you know, super athletic, super masculine, wanting to play catch with his kid, you know, like did not understand the autism spectrum. The kid was like brilliant, like savant level, total nerd. Wow. Uh, couldn't have been more different. So the kid would run off all the time. Sure. And uh, like he would, it was like a video game problem to him because he would get better every time. Like where we found him one time, he would never be there and he would take the lessons he learned from the last time. Mm -hmm. And like applied until like the last one, he was like in a homemade ghillie suit with his face painted neck deep in a swamp. And the wow. only way we found him was he just 
pure happenstance made eye contact with one of the searchers. Wow. And they're like, wait a second, <laughs> a pair of eyeballs in a swamp. So, wow. yeah, so it was just like, and all kinds of like interesting stuff you would never, never see, never encounter for the good and for the bad. Um, you know, for the good, because you just you have these crazy experiences, like stuff you can't even make up. And, you know, bad, obviously, like you get to see it's, one, you get to see like the underbelly fringe of society that most people aren't privy to. Right. Uh, and you do get the front row seat to the best and worst moments of people's lives. Wow. So I don't know, but that was, I've, I've gone far beyond your question, but that's you know, okay. that, was, uh, that was a huge part of it was like, yeah. it was never the same thing twice. It was always a new problem solved. And you've had training all over the country, right? A lot of different situations, different uh, yeah. environments. Yeah, we. Uh, I was. I was very blessed. We did have a lot of training opportunities, um, and I have to give credit to our team leader. He was extremely. Uh, he was. He was a hard charger. He was extremely training focused. He was a uh, career Green Beret. Like that was. Wow. He was his entire. I think twenty two years in the army he was Green Beret. Wow. Um, dude was a hard ass, but man, like his training standards were high and he made it a point to provide us with as much opportunity as he could. Nice. So yeah, between that and, uh, you know, stuff I ended up doing on my own. Yeah. I, I've gotten to, gotten to do some cool stuff. Very cool. Well, yeah. And being awarded the youngest person ever to achieve Sartec one certification. Yeah. And you know, part of that, like on, on one hand, I am really proud of that accomplishment. But on the other hand, part of it was happenstance because part of that certification and, you know, I always want to make this clarification. Part of it is just I was in the right place at the right time because a big part of that certification is having a certain number of search out like mission hours in the field okay. and uh, also a certain number of mission hours as a field leader. And when I was on the team, coming up, we were very active and I had a lot of opportunity to do that. So I just, you know, showed up on every call and that gave me that. It gave me those numbers. And, you know, there are other people who came later that, you know, probably had the same level of drive and determination and desire to train and push themselves to that level. They just didn't have the time in the field. So I was, I was fortunate in that regard. And that's a, that's like half the equation of how that happened. It's more than just hours in the field, right? Do you have to accomplish a certain number of, of uh, tasks or types of rescues? Um, no, not necessarily. It's uh, more like they don't, they don't like look further than the fact that you were out in the field on the search doing your job. Like they don't divide it up into like, say, uh, like a technical rescue, like a high angle, like going over a cliff after somebody right. uh, versus, you know, water rescue or. or right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And what age were you when you got that? It's 23. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. And I was number 107 since 1996. Wow. That's awesome. Very uh, good. Congratulations yeah. on that. Thanks. Yeah, it was like, and I, and I have a lot of respect for the, uh, 
those that put on the training or well, it wasn't training. You don't train for it. You go certify, you challenge the test. Um, yeah, I have a lot of respect for them for maintaining high standards. Uh, you know, it was not given to me and I, you know, I respect them for that. Right. So can you think back, was there one rescue, one harrowing rescue that stands out? Something that you maybe push you to your limits? can't think of one in particular. I mean, there were some, there were some that were, that were rough. I mean, we to like, to be clear, like most of, most of our calls ended well. Like we, we had a great track record of happy endings. We, I think had like a 90 plus percent live find rate, which is great. Uh, and you know, if the subject was deceased, that usually happened well before we even got the call. Um, so, you know, most of the time it was, you know, most of the time at the end of the day, it was a good day. Um, most of the, the harrowing stuff that came down to the conditions, honestly. Um, yeah. If I think back, like there wasn't, well, yeah, the majority. Uh, okay. There's, it's hard to, it's kind of hard to like classify it because there were some that like, the suck level was extreme. Like it was really bad. Like, you know, early March in North Georgia is 35 degrees at 3 a.m. It's freezing rain, like pouring down, you know, 20 mile an hour winds. And, you know, you got to go out and search because, you know, all the, all the cops are sitting in their squad cars, nice and warm, uh, you know, sipping their coffee. That's why they call you is because they're not going to go out and do that. Um, for those of y'all who don't know this, like if you're, if you're part, if you're part of a fire and EMS, like you have to give shit to law enforcement. It's part of the rules. Oh, yeah. um, that's, that's how it works. Um, so there was like, you know, there are plenty that sucked. Uh, and then, you know, you can stack on top of that and like say, uh, you know, like as a squad leader, like if a member of my squad went down, like that happened a time or two, like, uh, you know, those conditions, but somebody got injured and you got to manage them and make sure they get out of the field safely or, you know, that they're, you know, say they break an ankle, which happened, um, you know, got to make sure they're taken care of and still complete the mission. Um, you know, that's a, that's a challenge for sure. Um, there were a couple of times I was held at gunpoint. Well, or shot at. Um, in those cases, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really fault the people because they didn't know who I, it was not a, like they, it didn't, they didn't know we were search and rescue basically. Uh, we just were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. We had, we had combative patients, you know, people that we'd find and they try to fight us. Um, I don't know. It's one of those things and it's not, I'm not trying to like make myself sound good or anything, but like, it's one of those things you don't think about it at the time. Like you're just yeah. in the moment and you're like, this is just the situation. This is what it is. Right. You know, you don't think like, Oh Lord, I'm scared. This is terrible. Uh, you know, I'm being, yeah. you know, I'm in danger. Like you don't even, you don't even, it doesn't really hit you until later. You're like, wow, sure. I could have died. 
No, the call goes out. It could be ice and snow, right? It could sure. be in the middle of summer. It could be humid. You could be Absolutely. up in the mountains. You could be down in the valleys. Just yeah, no, I think I think it's you know you're focused on the mission, and you know especially in leadership, like focused on making sure your squad's good. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't really cross your mind. So I don't know. I don't. I don't have a great answer for that. I don't have like a no, that's you know one like you know, nail biter story that really comes to mind. <laughs> no worries. And, right, and so, to be clear, like most of them were, there, a lot of these are pretty tame. Like yeah. we'd show up uh, and we'd be on scene for like 30, 45 minutes. Okay. And just because we knew where to look, we'd just go straight to them, check them over. They'd walk themselves out. Everybody go home. Nice. Yeah. That was like, you know, I want to like set the expectation that sure. that was a very average call. Oh. Everybody, you know, you, you hear search and rescue and you have images of, you know, the, the zip lining, you know, across yeah. the valley or something like that, rappelling out of an aircraft or, you know, yeah. a helicopter or something. It's not always that, but it's the fact that you're going out into the wilderness. You could be injured. You could get lost. You could get hurt, you know, so you're kind of putting your life at risk to help save somebody else. Well, that's, you know, that's the whole motto. These things we do that others may live. That's, yeah, that's what we live. Absolutely. So from Eagle Scout uh, to Search and Rescue, winning the certification SARTEC one, um, that led you up to StarCraft. Tell me about StarCraft, how that got started. Yeah. So, um, so I'll tell you the full transparency story, like how it actually started. Um, so I actually had a business partner at the time uh, who was in search and rescue with me. And uh, we had had not, and not just him and I, now that I've thought back on like me and multiple other people, it was like a common topic of conversation saying that if more of these people had a basic level of wilderness skills, they wouldn't be out here. Yeah. That if people knew how to, you know, even if they just had like, if they knew what to carry with them, right. uh, if they knew how to properly pack their bag, if they knew what their physical limitations were, if they knew basic land navigation, uh, you know, how to dress for conditions, uh, you know, not even getting into like advanced level wilderness survival, just basic skills. Um, you know, obviously there's always the ones that it wouldn't have made a difference. Like if you get injured, uh, you know, if you go down with a broken leg, like there's not a lot you can do about that. Um, if, if you're by yourself, um, you know, the special patient populations, it wouldn't have made a difference, you know. Um, but for most people in the outdoors, like their situations were preventable. So that's really what led us into doing that and starting the company uh, almost exactly five years ago now. Nice and going in the business of teaching wilderness skills and empowering people to prevail in whatever circumstances they may find themselves in. So what kind of classes do you teach up there? It really kind of runs the spectrum now. So in the beginning, it was uh, a lot of uh, really like what we would consider the core skills, like, uh, like land nav, like wilderness survival, like, uh, you know, any of those like that. And also uh, at the time we, you know, 
we thought there'd be a market for uh, like training and certification for wilderness search and rescue teams, which there is. It's just, it was juice wasn't worth squeeze. Uh, so I don't do that anymore. But uh, yeah, it kind of expanded. At, like the longer I've done it, the more my horizons broadened into all of the, all the things that touch on that. And it goes, and it's gone kind of from just the basics to really like, a mindset of self-reliance and defensive living, if that makes sense. So like uh, a good example is one of my favorite classes to teach is campfire cooking. That is not a survival skill by any metric. Uh, you know, it's, it's barely, I, I guess you could call it a self-reliance skill, um, but it's something that enhances the experience in the outdoors and makes people fall in love with the outdoors and, uh, you know, that's something that if they learn that they can make great memories with their family and friends around sure. a campfire around good food. Uh, and that honestly, like that's, that's a huge part of it too, is enriching the enjoyment of the experience, which right. a lot of these classes do. Uh, nice. there are some others that are, you know, some of the, uh, the handicraft classes like, uh, you know, spoon carving or leather working or, uh, you know, some of those that, uh, you know, also not survival skills, but they are self-reliance skills and they right. give you more confidence because you now know how to manufacture and make the things that you use rather than being a dependent right. consumer. Or repair something when you're exactly. out there in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah 100%. Uh, and, you know, they do come in handy. I can't tell you how many times I've been backpacking and somebody decided they wanted to cook but forgot a spatula where, and I can... Yeah. You know, whip one out in 15 minutes and everybody's good to go. Nice. Um, and then also, too, like uh, a lot of what's called uh, primitive skills or ancestral skills. Like I did a, uh, a bow drill friction fire class not too long ago. Nice. Um, you know, things like primitive weapons, friction fire, uh, natural cordage, those things. I don't consider those survival skills. Uh, if you are to the point that you are relying on a bow drill friction fire to save your life. You have nest up at multiple points right. along the way. Right. Like you done messed up. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like you left your other fire starting materials at home. You know, you, yeah, you're in a bad way. You yeah. should. Yeah. You messed up. Uh, but, but the wilderness shelters, Showing them how to build simple shelters sure. if you get stuck out there and stuff like that. How to build a proper fire and get that going using well, the proper tools. Uh, and what I was going to say was, uh, you know, those those skills put us in touch with our heritage, with our ancestors. You know, you can if you do those things, you can see how. And it doesn't matter what your heritage is. It doesn't matter if uh, you know European, Asian, African. Doesn't matter. Your ancestors did this at some point in time. Right. Right. And being able to kind of stand in their shoes and have an appreciation for them and have that because you know, we're very, we're very unrooted in the modern world. We're very yeah. disconnected from our past. Like most people, you know, past your living grandparents, most people don't even know, mm -hmm. you know who their great grandparents were much less what they did or how they lived much right. less, you know, 500 generations prior to that. So well, and going out to a class value too. Absolutely. Going out to a class and learning how to build a fire and then cook your meal in that fire. We think, wow, what an accomplishment. Uh, you think back, your ancestors did that every, every day. day of the week. Well, and the crazy thing is it wasn't that long ago because uh, my grandmother who is 93, she talks about, uh, well, actually 
uh, it came up because I had, uh, it wasn't too long after I started teaching and, uh, I just got myself like a brand new Flint and steel set, like the old school, like strike it against right. a Flint. And I was showing it to her and like thinking I was showing her something new. I don't know why I thought that. And she took it from me and like wraps out a perfect spark. I'm like, and I'm just, my mind is blown. She's like, Oh honey, I had to start the fire in the wood stove every morning so we could cook. Like I did this every single day when every I was a day. kid. Yeah. And that wasn't that long ago. No. So that is awesome. So who's yeah. your ideal client? Um really somebody who, and you know, I can talk about demographics, I can talk and I can give you data for that, but really what it comes down to it's a mindset thing. My ideal client is somebody who has an attitude of humility and curiosity and wants to learn. Nice. You know, the people who, which, you know, it's rare that these, that people sign themselves up for classes without having that attitude. Like most people that, that don't have that attitude just don't come. Uh, you know, they think they know it already, but um, yeah. And that, and that's honestly the common denominator because I've had, you know, I've had people from, all over every metric you can think of politically, you know, men and women, age groups, everything from young kids to the elderly, like a very diverse array of people. Uh, but that really is the one thing that ties them all together is they have a great attitude of humility and curiosity. Curiosity. And yep. they're, they're fired up to learn. And they also, have a desire to improve them, improve themselves and build their skills, which is something that I really respect. So that's, uh, that's kind of what ties everybody together. Absolutely. And I know recently you've done some uh, classes for students, right? Uh, kids, but then yes. you also have some specialty classes for women, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my, my wife and one of her best friends taught those. Um, I kind of, you know, obviously like with any of my instructors, I went over the course curriculum with them, made sure I knew what they were going to cover and more or less turned them loose with it. it turned out great. Uh, they, the students had awesome feedback. They all had a blast and uh, yeah, they were all having a great time. I was helping out with a land nav class and all I could hear from over there was like a bunch of laughing and whatnot. And they were just <laughs> carrying on like, all right, I guess it's going well. So yeah. that is awesome. And, and I think that's important because um, you know, and we, they talked about this extensively in the class. And this is kind of how I even presented it on the website was, um, yeah, the woods are for everybody. And if you think back, like our ancestors, everybody lived out in the woods. Like mm -hmm. everybody did these skills, men and women, you know, obviously like there was division of labor, like the men would go out and hunt more. The women would usually like gather and do like the camp crafts more, but everybody did a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. Uh, so the whole notion that that women don't belong out there and like the self-belief of a lot of them that like this ain't for them, that's all very new. Yeah. Uh, that's not like a traditionally human idea. Uh, so really like that's a big part of the class is like overcoming that conditioning and saying like, hey, you know, this is for you too. And empowering them with the skills they need to go out and enjoy the wild on their own nice. uh, with or without anyone else. And very cool. Yeah. It's a lot of fun because a lot of, yeah. a lot of, 
we get a lot of feedback. A lot of women like, oh yeah, I'd love to do that, but like, I don't know where to start. I'm like, okay, well, here's where you start. So, but I just, I, I just think it's cool the the land navigation. Which again, if you're going to go out in the wilderness, you should know how to navigate. Use a map, you know how to find your way around. Um, wild edibles, which I think mm-hmm. is fascinating, right? You, yeah. There are lots of books on that, but to be able to actually go out on the property and look at things and find things that you can actually eat, I think, so. and eat things. That's, yeah, that's one of the best parts of that class is you snack that's the whole time. <laughs> that's awesome. Very cool. So when you see people coming to your classes and stuff, is it? Is it mindset? Is that the biggest thing to help them get over? As far as barriers to their learning? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and that's more, and that's more of the hard skills based stuff. Uh, I see it more in kids. And I think that's just because, you know, that's the nature of kids. They haven't had to overcome as much. They haven't, they're not as like skilled generally. So, you know, they, they hit a wall of something they don't know how to do. They're like, uh, this is terrible. Right. Um, but, you know, I see it in adults, too, especially with some of the more challenging classes. Um, so, yeah, like there's there's definitely an element of self-belief in there of trying to encourage people that they do, in fact, have what it takes. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. that And that probably is the biggest hurdle, because most people, again, like it is self-selecting. Like nobody's there because they have to be. Everybody's there because they want to be, uh, which is honestly one of the best parts about it. Cause you get, sure. you, you get people at their best. Absolutely. Like it's not like a lot of, a lot of industries where it's something people have to have. Right. So it's a drudge. So, you know, people, it's, you know, it's a, it's a Saturday. They're out there cause they want to be, they're fired up. You know, it's something they're passionate about. Like you get them at their best, which is really awesome. Like that's Absolutely. definitely one of the best parts of running classes. And we've been out there in the rain and the driving oh, and stuff, and people, the are, having great time. people are having oh, a great man. time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it was still fun. But man, I cannot believe how much it rained that weekend. Yeah. Oh, so, I still remember. I think my tent is still wet. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. So, yeah. Um, and you just got married recently, right? Last October. Yeah. yeah. To Sarah. Yeah. And now she's helping you out with some of the classes and everything like that. That's awesome. Yeah. She's, uh, she's very good at it. She's, uh, She's good at helping keep me on track, especially. Uh, She, yeah, she's very logistically minded. She's very good at uh, managing the classes, managing logistics, managing me. Uh, Because, you know, I'm the world's worst, as you know, about going on tangents. Uh, So she'll keep me on schedule. And uh, honestly, you know, there's a lot to be said for having a spouse who is also, who's truly a partner in life and who is extremely capable and competent in her own right that, uh, you know, I could bounce ideas off of. Like I, you know, I not, I'm not going to say I ask her for guidance necessarily, but like, I trust, I trust the validity of her opinion when I, when I ask it. Sure. Because I know that, yeah, with her level of intelligence and her level of capability, she knows what she's talking about. And she's also just a extremely no BS kind of person. So I know that she's going to shoot me straight and tell me the truth, yep. which is valuable. Uh, Absolutely. There's a lot of, you know, it's, it's rare to have that in your life because uh, a lot of people just tell you what you want to hear and, you know, tell you things to make you feel better. And my wife will not do that. Nope. You need that sounding board. Absolutely. But she's not just, your wife out there, she's 
got her skills, right? She's the hunts. Yeah. She's done all the wilderness type stuff. She's she's learned all she's that stuff. A lot right? of it. Yeah. She it's I she doesn't quite have the passion for it that I do. She but she was she's basically dragged into it growing up because her dad, my father-in-law, who's awesome. Uh I love him. Uh he's like the real deal Colorado mountain man. He's probably killed more elk than most people will ever see. Wow. Uh, so yeah, she was, I don't think she really had a choice. Yeah. Uh, I think she was going to be exposed to it and in it and around it no matter what. Uh, and that was like one of the things I noticed when we first started dating was, uh, because like I, like, like I had fully immersed her in it. Cause I was like, Hey, this is what I'm doing on weekends. If you want to hang out, yeah. like this is where I am. And she was game for it. And, you know, that was kind of my litmus test. I'm like, all right, she's either going to be cool with this or it's going to totally run her off. Yep. And she had no problem with it. And I was going like, don't you think this is like, weird or off, like totally off the wall normally? It's like, oh, no, trust me, this is fine. And then I met her dad and it all made sense. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is not your first rodeo. This is, this is not new to you. Very cool. So, yeah, and she's, you know, she's super smart, so she's a fast learner. Uh, so the things that she didn't already know, like being around the classes, like she picked it up fast. Okay. Uh, there's honestly, as far as the stuff that we've covered so far, there's nothing I've seen her struggle with. She's sharp. Awesome. So I'll, I'll give her that for sure. Absolutely. No, very cool. So the, the podcast is about courage, right? Where'd you find the courage to start your own business, to walk away from the comfort zone of the nine to five? right? Um, where did you find the courage to overcome the setbacks, the bankruptcies, divorce, things like that? Um, when it comes to you and starting StarCraft, where did you find the courage to step out and do that on your own? Where'd that courage come from? Um, the original starting of it, uh, honestly, it was kind of a, it was, it was one of those that is as good a time as any. And if I'm going to do it, now's the time to do it. I had just been not a hundred percent laid off, but pretty much sidelined from the construction job that I was doing at the time. And so I was like, okay, I could either like fully invest myself in going back to a regular job search and trying to do that. Mm -hmm. Or I could say, yeah, this is the time. And even though I have no money, no real connections, like no idea of how to do this. Right. Um, now's the time to make the leap because at the time, you know, I had no real obligations, you know, wasn't married. Uh, obviously I had no kids. Like I had nothing holding me back. I'm like, this is the time. But most people would have said, no, I need to go find another job. They're in that mindset where somebody else makes the decision. Somebody else puts their neck on the line. I just want to collect a paycheck and go home. You could have gone that route easily. Right. Sure. And you turned and said, I want to do this. That takes courage. That takes, you know, that's scary for a lot of people to even think about starting their own business. I don't know. To me, it's, it was almost like I, I couldn't not because I, I knew that if I didn't do it, I was going to always regret it. And that bothered me more than the possibility of failure. It's like, if I fail, okay, whatever, you know, I'm young, I got time to recover. I'll just go back to work, whatever, who cares? Uh, yeah. But, you know, the idea of just <clears throat> like 
going back to the office and not even having tried. Like I couldn't live with that. Yeah. But you bring up a good point too. You were young enough that you had plenty of time to recover. If you do something and it didn't work, eh, okay, now yeah. I go back and get a job. You know, yeah. so many people just, like I said, they're, they're afraid to take that step. They see, you know, they look over the edge at what's possible and then they step back say, no, I don't know. I don't know. I, I also have learned about myself over the years that I do have a higher than average risk tolerance. Nice. Um, probably had something to do with my involvement in search and rescue, like why I was drawn to that. Um, I've done, I've done a lot of the adrenaline junkie stuff. Like I've, I've gotten the skydiving out of my system. Uh, I've done auto racing. I've done just a lot of stuff like that. Uh, so I don't know. It's, I don't want to just like chalk it up to youthful foolishness and not thinking of the possible consequences. Cause I would absolutely do the same thing again. Um, I don't know. I, maybe it's just like, well, okay. A big part of it. And this is not, and I don't know a way to say this without coming off as arrogant, but I know that a big part of it and something that really just informs my decision-making to this day is I'll figure it out. Like I have, I have enough life experience behind me to know that if I give something my best and put my mind to it, I usually win. And if not, I can at least like mitigate total catastrophe and like not get hit by the worst of it. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think there's a a degree of self-belief there too, that, you know, if I like given, given the opportunity, if I really give it all I got, I'm probably going to win. Uh, one of the ladies I follow on YouTube, Marie Forleo, her mom, growing up, her mom used to say, everything is figure outable. Yeah, it is. Just take time, figure it out. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was that's something I've kind of always believed. Uh, but I think that's something that was really cemented for me as a first responder was, you know, you are 911. Uh, there is no one coming to save you. You know, you not only are responsible for yourself, your people, but also the person that you're actually out there to rescue to begin with. And you got to figure it out. Like yeah. You got to make it happen one way or another. And that builds a great deal of confidence of sure. being in really difficult conditions against odds that aren't great um, with that window for survival closing very rapidly and pulling it off. Absolutely. Very cool. So, um, how many instructors do you have working for you at StarCraft? Um, I have to think about it because I've added a few here in the last few weeks. Um, I've really got like four that are very dedicated. And then I've got a few that are peripheral that I'm kind of bringing in to sort of vet <clears throat> and work alongside. Okay. Um, but yeah, let's say I've got uh, three or four, what I would put in the category of lead, what I call lead instructors, which is I can turn them loose by themselves with no other, with no direction, no guidance, and they're going to do just fine. And they'll come in for specialty classes about some of the things, right? Yeah. Um, most of my instructors are specialists. Uh, Cause I, I consider as an instructor, I consider myself kind of the jack of all trades, master of none. Like I know, I know a little bit about 
almost all the stuff I teach about almost all the stuff that Sarcraft offers. I should have said, um, you know, there's only a, a very, very few that I would consider myself an actual expert in. Like most of them, I would say I have like a, an operations level of knowledge that, you know, I can teach beginner classes. Uh, you know, I can assist with a class, but, you know, I want to give my students the absolute best that I can give them. So for areas that are not necessarily that I may know them, they're not necessarily in my wheelhouse or it's just not something I prefer to teach, then that's usually where I bring in another instructor. Uh, but yeah, so most of, most of my other instructors are specialists in what they do. So what are some of the classes you have offered? Um, or so things that are coming up. We can talk about things that are coming up. Yeah, so the ones that I try to offer pretty regularly uh, wilderness first aid. Okay. I'll tell you all like the trifecta. Like if you're, if I think if you're going to go out in the woods in any capacity, anywhere, the things, the three classes from Sarcraft you should take are wilderness first aid, because I personally, whether it's just in, been my own experience out in the woods, uh, or in a search and rescue capacity, I can think of I don't know if I can even think of one call it wilderness survival scenario that was not also a wilderness first aid scenario. There was almost always some kind some of injury yeah. or illness thrown in the mix. Yeah. So that's one. Um, land navigation is huge. Um, I cannot tell you how many people we went after that were lost purely because of the fact that they used their phone to figure out where they were in the woods. Like they were either because stuff would happen like they were using a trails app, but it wasn't, it hadn't been updated and, you know, it didn't reflect like a, tra a trail change. Uh, you know, they, their GPS accuracy was off. Uh, the phone died. That happened a lot. Um, you know, they would lose signal and all of a sudden like that little blue dot on the map would stop moving. Uh you know, all those things like learn how to use a map and compass. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it is one of the more complex skills, I would say. Like it, it took me a while to get good at it, but it's worth knowing. It is worth the time, it's worth the effort. And what you'll gain from that class, even beyond just like hard map and compass skills, which I would argue is maybe even more valuable, is things like terrain association, like how to, look around you and be situationally aware and see like how you can orient yourself in, you know, the wider world, even without a map and compass. Uh, so land nav is important. And then I would also say like uh, what I call our wilderness survival essentials class. It's a one day and focuses on uh, the core four survival priorities, which are fire, water, food, and shelter heavy on fire and shelter if you can because and i it is a very data-driven class based on uh it's called the lost person behavior book which is uh the the data metrics of i think it's up to like 3500 search and rescue cases in north america like us and canada um you know it's it's targeted towards the most likely scenarios in that 
Uh, so if you have a basic shelter element you can carry with you, you're dressed for conditions, you know how to build a fire in any and all conditions within reason. Um, and you can figure out how to get water if you run out, uh, prevent dehydration, and either like provide for your calorie needs with what you carry or find enough to supplement yourself off land. If you can get those down, uh, you know, even if the other, the other two skill sets fail, like even if you do have yourself or another one in your party get injured and you can't self-rescue, or if your land nav skills fail and you do end up lost, you're going to be okay. Uh, you're going to hang in there long enough for a rescue team to find you and get you out alive. So yeah, I, those three are like the baseline, like, please take those. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, so we try to offer those fairly often. Uh, I also offer pretty regularly, uh, actually the one you came to, mm-hmm. uh, the bushcraft essentials class, which is, uh, like a, a little bit of a step back in time. It's not the primitive skills. I would call it the pioneer skills. Okay. Um, you know, how to provide for your own needs, not out of your kit, but just using a few basic tools like a knife, axe, saw, and crafting the things that you need out of the resources you find. Okay. Uh, so that's a, that's a great confidence builder. You know, it's really, really good as far as, you know, your familiarity with the woods, um, I offer, offer a wild edibles class at least twice a year. I always do one in like late spring, early summer. I just did mine back here in May. Uh, usually do one in winter, like in February, early March. Uh, you know, that, that opens up a whole new level of awareness when you're able to walk through the woods and realize that you can use almost everything you see for food or medicine. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's super empowering. Um, Let's see. We're going to try to have more women's classes on the schedule because the last one was such a success. Um, and there's a lot of demand for that. Um, let's see. And then I also have what I call my Sunday afternoon bushcraft classes, which are a, they're a Sunday afternoon format. They're about five hours long. And it's usually like one, one skill set, like uh, knots, for instance, or knife sharpening or axemanship, like how to use an ax. Um you know, those sorts of things. So, you know, those are all things that get offered pretty regularly. And then there's, uh, you know, one-offs and specialty classes and uh, something I am looking to do more of here soon, uh, just because I think it's what we need because the state of the world is more uh, what I would consider preparedness classes, like, uh, you know, how to build a bug out bag and then how to live out of it. Uh, Or, you know, even a bug out bag shakedown. Or get home back. We talked yeah, about that. I would, I would argue a get home bag is more important than a bug out bag. Absolutely. Because uh, most people, like unless you're, and we talked about this the other day, but unless your home is like actually compromised where it's no longer safe to stay, uh, almost anyone's going to be better off staying put. Uh, the chances of your survival if you have to leave home on foot start to drop dramatically. Uh, so, you know, get home. And yeah, stay home. Exactly. Uh, classes like time. that. I think there's yeah. a big, I think there's a big demand for, it and I think it's a very relevant topic. Absolutely. No, good stuff. 
and I love your website. I mean, it's awesome. I know you're working on it and stuff like that, but it's yeah, it's always you have out there is good. But thank you. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, we're uh, we're about to launch an online store here soon, uh, so that's under construction. Uh, actually, by the time this is published, it'll be up, and uh, also relaunch my blog. So there'll be a lot of great content there. So yeah, and that's that's another big part of it is I know there are people that will never come to a class and that's okay. Uh, so I want to find ways to help educate and empower them as well with uh, digital resources, whether it's video-based, ebook type things, uh, or just stuff that's free, like blog posts and YouTube videos. Um, that is my goal here in the next year is to have a lot more of that out there. Very cool. And then you also have a new adventure you're starting on. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I left search and rescue in October of 2020 after 10 years and took some time off and realized that I really, it's not time to come out of the field yet. I, I still have the drive and the desire to do something like that. So uh, a few weeks ago, I actually enlisted in the Georgia army national guard as an infantryman. So that's uh, you know, whole new, yeah, whole new adventure, whole new level of training, uh, all new experiences. So I'm, I'm excited to get started on that. That's awesome. Well, uh, you're certainly prepared for it. So that's, that's good. Uh, prepared as I can be, I guess. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, but that's, it's cool. It's also a huge blessing too. And anybody that's listening to this, uh, by the time you hear it, I'll probably already be gone to basic training, but uh, it's a huge blessing that I do have enough. I have built the business to the point that uh, it's going to be able to run without me. So, you know, just because I'm not there doesn't mean we're not going to have classes. I've got very, very high quality, capable instructors, uh, some excellent support staff that are going to be there and still provide an awesome, awesome experience. Good stuff. All right. So if people want to get in touch with you and find out what courses you have coming up, uh, the calendar of events and everything, how can they do that? What's what's your website? It is sarcraft.com. Uh, as far as social media, Oh, when you're on the website, sign up for the email list. Okay. Uh, it's a pop-up. You can't miss it. Uh, I do not spam. Most of it's actually like pretty valuable stuff, like on blog posts, videos. Um, you also get like first pick on upcoming classes. Like those nice. go out to the email list before the general public sees them. Nice. Okay. Um, social media, you're most likely to see my stuff on Instagram. So that's at Sarcraft underscore survival. Um, on Facebook as well. That's honestly it for now. Uh, I do have a YouTube channel that I'll be adding a lot more to here over the coming months. Uh, you know, who knows? I might, might fire my Twitter back up, but that, that <laughs> remains to be seen. So, uh, yeah, that is the best way to, uh, to get involved. And, you know, if you're in the Metro Atlanta area, you know, stop by for a class. There's, nice. there's a lot of opportunities and options out there. And uh, you know, if you want to come from farther afield, you're more than welcome to too. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you've got any, you know, questions about certain things, get in touch, right? Yep. Who knows? Yep. And it, it will be me course. that you talk to. I do answer all my own emails. So excellent. Uh, yeah, just shoot me a question. I'm also, you know, I do private trainings as well. So if you have something that uh, you know, say you have a uh, you know, a, a startup or a corporate leadership team or a work group or something, you want to do something unique for. Uh, yeah. do a lot of things like that. I do youth Absolutely. classes. So, uh, yeah, that uh, land nav would be a perfect leadership uh, engagement. Oh, That's that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah, definitely. Very there's cool. A, 
lot of, a lot of good stuff going on there. Uh, the business is going in a great direction and, uh, yeah, yeah. Always, always open to making new friends. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, Alex, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your time, man. Thanks very much for, for coming on. Yeah. hundred percent. Good interview. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. Excellent. All right. Listeners, hope you guys are taking a lot of notes. Definitely check out sarcraft.com. Check out Sarcraft on Instagram. That is at Sarcraft underscore survival, right? Um, you say you're going to have the store up and running soon so we can get yes. some of those cool Sarcraft t-shirts and, yep. and everything. Excellent. Good job. Perfect. <laughs> I will definitely order one of those. All right. Um, listeners, make sure you share this episode with your family, friends, colleagues. Again, if you're in the metro Atlanta area, definitely check out Starcraft. Go up there for a weekend, take a couple classes. It'll be awesome. You'll love it. And uh, yeah, share this and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. <laughs>